I love my Blendjet 2 Portable. I make breakfast smoothies in the morning with just some almond milk, frozen fruit, yogurt, and I can walk out the door with breakfast in hand in less than a minute. It's so easy to clean up and you get to see the cool little water tornado it makes when you rinse out whatever you just blended. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, you can do a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up your entire house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges so quickly via USB-C. And best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. You just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. If they have it in a certain color, will you get it? Well, you're in luck because Blendjet has more than 30 colors and patterns to choose from. You should definitely check out the Disney prints. They are very cute. I need a Buzz Lightyear one. What are you waiting for? Go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I know you've missed us. We are back and you'll notice back to our regular scheduled programming. I'm Connie. Along with my bestie for the resty, Meg. And tonight she is going to tell us about Janie Lou Gibbs. Janie Lou Gibbs. Um, For, was it June or July? The bonus episode. We did Black Widow. Like, that was the choice that we gave our Patreon subscribers. Like, which Black Widow did you hear about? Yeah, that was Jude. I think we released it in July, though, because it has been, like, the craziest fucking few months. <laughs> Every God. month is the craziest I month. know. I feel like this is, like, we had set it for so long. We're like, man, things have been really crazy. Man, things have been really crazy. And They're then, just like, what's wrong with them? What, what are they doing with their lives? We're still trying to it out. Yeah, it's been a lot, guys. Hang in, hang in there with us. We're here. We're back. And on Wednesdays. Oh, yeah, we're going to shift back to Wednesdays. <laughs> Then we don't have to change our clothing. <laughs> yeah. We are it's, a mess. My God. <laughs> yeah, thanks for hanging with us. We, we're we not dead. We're barely thriving over here. Barely. Patrons have a, we're not thriving at all. We're not barely thriving. We are surviving. And that's good enough for me. Well, we had tried to move it to Fridays, and we were like, this this will be better for all of our schedules. And then, like, a lot of life events, like, mutually happened, and we were like, this is not, this is no longer better for our schedules. It's no longer mutually beneficial for anyone. Mm-hmm. Not you guys, not us. What a, what a time. What a time to be alive. So, because that bonus episode... <laughs> <laughs> was Black Widows. This is also a Black Widow episode. I had just kind of gotten... Oh, like, I hate like, these bitches. Yeah. They're... um, It's so weird because this woman is our age, or she was our age when this happened. And every mm. time I saw that, I was like, could I kill someone? Not like this lady, for sure. No, you couldn't. I'm telling you right now, you couldn't. <laughs> you couldn't. Janie Lou Hickox was born on December 25th, Christmas Day, 1932, in Cordell, Georgia, which is apparently the watermelon capital of the world, by the way. Fun fact. Um, There's not a whole lot of information about her upbringing. It was, she, she had strict religious upbringing. Her family was pretty poor. Uh, She married Charles Clayton Gibbs when she was only 15 years old, 
And then the two moved to a nearby town. It was just 10 miles away from Cordell. And both of those towns are technically in the Crisp County District. Janie and Charles attended church regularly, and together they had three sons. Roger Ludine Gibbs, Melvin Waits Gibbs, and Marvin Ronald Gibbs. And for 18 years, they lived very quiet, devoted lives on their farm, going to church, raising their children, until tragedy began to strike. Janie was known for spending all of her spare time helping at church. She had an in-house daycare that she ran for moms who were working. Um, It was the 60s, so moms were getting out more. And so she turned her home into a daycare service so that, and she would have like up to 25 children in her house other than her own kids. Yeah. I don't feel like that ratio is appropriate. (laughs) How do you feel about a one to 25 ratio for the at-home daycare that you're sending your kids to? That sounds like a public school ratio, but not like a. Oh, that's true. That's like kind but of. Those a are all like, those are like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but they, uh, at least all of those kids are like one age, and it's yeah. not like, who knows these ages? Like infants. You no, know, I feel high like school. I went to a daycare as a child where there were way too many kids for the number of adult that's with there, which was one. Oh, dude, but for sh- sure. And they probably cost like thirty bucks a week to go, so they were like, sure, no works. doubt. They're like, your kid might die. But and I did fall in a creek once <laughs> with that daycare, and my I was under the supervision of the owner's teenage daughter, who like told me to cross the creek on the rocks. So it was the nineties, and this was the sixties. <laughs> what a time to be alive! What a time! So again, she had a whole bunch of kids, um, and while. She did kind of have, I won't say like fanatical. She was very religious. Um, And she knew all of the members of her church. She was very involved with her church community. Um, She didn't, it didn't really seem like she had any like intense emotional or mental issues. She just was known as a devoted mother. She held God very close to her. Um, when she wasn't looking after kids, she was helping out with events. She was supporting her congregation. So at some point in her adult life, Janie had traveled to Albany, Georgia for a doctor's appointment. And I could not find this in a lot of places. So I am going to say it, but I don't know how true it is. Her attorney allegedly said it later in um, a trial. But she had been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. Um, And Janie was apparently very aware of that eventually her body was going to, like, start shutting down. And this acute awareness of how her illness was going to progress paired with, like, her religious beliefs. There's a lot of talk around that she really wanted everyone that she loved to go to heaven so that she would be with them when she finally passed. And Jamie never, Janie never said this in court, but as we know, she is a black widow and I will tell you about it in just a second. She did not just murder her husband. She murdered her husband, her three sons and her grandson, all of whom she loved dearly, quote unquote, loved dearly. Uh, And there's speculation that, this might have been a contributing factor, like the delirium that comes with, or the cognitive issues that come with ALS, like may have sent her into a space where she was like, this is how I'm going to keep my family together. So the first member of Janie's family that she murdered was Charles Clayton Gibbs, her husband, who died on the 21st of January in 1966. He was only 39 years old. Janie was an avid cook. She always prepared home-cooked meals. And after many of these lovingly made meals, Charles collapsed in their home and was rushed to the hospital. 
Janie went to the hospital to care for him and brought a flask of soup with her. Charles, I hate when they do that. I hate when it's like, let me just take care of you. Nothing to see but, here. It's a different kind of take care. Like, let me just take care of you. We're going to yeah. take care Ugh, of this. So gross. So he was served his final meal in the hospital from that flask of soup, and he died painfully from stomach cramps and convulsions. And years later, in not too many years, uh, investigators realized that the soup was probably laced with a very strong dose of arsenic. Yep. (laughs) You already know. You already know. Um, Because arsenic, when administered in small amounts can be incredibly poisonous. And so she was doing that. She was giving him small amounts of arsenic in his food until he was almost dead. And then she gave him a very large dose. And it can result in a number of system failures, organ failures. And as we know from, you know, listening to too much crime, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it, uh, Arsenic's flavorless, it's odorless, it's very difficult for someone to connect their normal food and beverage consumption with their illness. So, and medical professionals, unless they're like, oh, you're probably poisoned, they most of the time are not going to check for it. So, Charles's death was recorded as an undiagnosed liver disease that he had been suffering from for some time. And the doctors were like, please let us perform an autopsy. But do you think she let them perform an autopsy? She was like, no, please don't. Just I need to get my husband buried. I need to start the grieving process. Yeah, she said she didn't want to cut them all up. She's like, I don't want to, I don't want to cut them all up. Then they'll know. Yeah, um, we know you don't want to cut them up. You just want to poison them, you freaking twat. <laughs> and the church provided her with an overwhelming amount of support. Uh, for their whole family, because now she was a single mother of three children, three teenage children. Um, and the entire congregation was shocked. Charles had been in such good health. He was very active. He was still so young. He wasn't even 40. And the Gibbs family was given meals and company and emotional support, just anything that the church could possibly do to help. When the life insurance claim for Charles came through, Janie donated a significant amount of money to the church to just say thank you for all that they had done. She said that she and her boys were just going to continue on and that the strength of the community would be enough to make it through. The church had helped them that much. Shortly after Charles died, their home burned down. And so the family moved back to Cordell because they had moved out into a smaller town that was just 10 minutes out of the way. Um, But she continued to offer daycare services for the children of working mothers. And there was never really an investigation into the house burning down. Um, But that timing, though. Yeah, that's a little sus. Mm hmm. But just like no one had suspected that she had anything to do with the death of Charles, there was no investigation into whether or not the house had burned down due to arson. So in just, you know, a couple months, her husband died, their house burned down, and they move out of town. After they moved, the oldest Gibbs son, Roger, started talking to a girl from their congregation, and her name was Ellen. And they started to develop a relationship under the watchful eye of Janie. They were teenagers, but spending a lot of time together at church and participating in the same activities. And within the year, Roger and Ellen got married and she became pregnant with their first child. And he's like 18, like young teenager. This is not like he's about to be 20. Like he just became an adult. Yeah. So Ellen actually moved into their home with them, um, and it was not a positive experience. Janie really seemed to hate her. She just behaved as though she didn't even exist. Uh, and Roger was busy with Ellen, but after Charles's death, the youngest son, Marvin, began to develop symptoms similar to those that his father had. There 
are no records of anyone being concerned about Marvin dying, um, despite their similar symptoms. But sure enough, nine months after his father, Marvin Gibbs died on the 29th of August in 1966. And again, undiagnosed liver disease, just like his father. And once again, Janie refused to have an autopsy done. But no, I hate that. Time, investigators and the insurance company, they were like, no, you need to get an autopsy done. We need to know what's happening here. Um, because they're like, these are two deaths. They're very similar in nature. Something just doesn't make sense here. Yeah, and the math ain't mathin'. Math ain't mathin'. Um, and some of the members of the church, not all of them, just kind of began to have like the whispers of, oh, hey, yeah, something is happening. Um, isn't this a little weird? Isn't this strange? But nobody's going to come forward. Because that's just no. the kind of thing that you can't be wrong about. Like, Yeah, you have to you know 100%. <laughs> you start saying, oh, yeah, that mom killed her husband and her son. You better be right. Yeah, that's not so, like such and such. Like the deacon and the secretary are spending too much time alone. Like, it's not little whispers <laughs> like that. It's like, it's like, oh, she's a murderer. Um. And again, the insurance company and the police, they're pressing for an autopsy, but Janie still mostly had the support of the community, and it was enough to request that it not be done um, because of how involved she was with the church and how active she was in her community. People, most people were still like, Janie isn't capable of murder, especially not her own family. She is incredibly devoted to them. She has spent her entire life taking care of them. No issues for 18 years. Imagine being wrong about that. Imagine being one of the ones who voted against the autopsies. Yeah. And then it all comes out. You're like, oh, man, I should have thought up. that one through. The signs and were all there. The signs were all there. <laughs> uh, but and again, they had their church really came together for them. They gave them counsel and companionship for Janie and her two remaining sons. Um, when Marvin's life insurance came through, Janie once again provided a large portion to the church, uh, which was undergoing some renovations and they needed the money. And so they were like, thank you so much. We could really use this. And this is the same church? Same church. Yeah. They're still, cause they only okay. lived they moved like 10 minutes away. So it's not okay. It, it wasn't like a significant distance. Well, of course um, the church is like, we're also kind of benefiting from this. Absolutely. Anything so why would they question? Family? Yeah. But people did start to notice that Janie seemed to be enjoying her new, like a new lifestyle. She had bought a brand new car. She allegedly had been buying like a lot of clothes. And they said that you hadn't seen her in the same dress twice. And she was just being so generous with her excess money. A lot of the church suggested like, that's just how you're coping. You know, it's like you're you do a little like, yeah, you're shopping away the pain. But Ellen Roger's wife, was highly suspicious of Janie Gibbs because she lived with her, but she was so young. She didn't know. She didn't know how or why anyone would listen to her if she said anything, because while, you know, Roger is 18, Ellen is younger than him. So she's not even 18 yet. And she is pregnant and she's married and she's living with this woman who treats her badly. Um, and she's like, what do I do? The church loves her. Why would anyone believe me? Yeah. After Marvin's death, Ellen felt pretty certain that what was happening to the Gibbs family was not random or hereditary, especially when Melvin began to get sick. Melvin, who in some articles is also referred to as Lester for some reason, uh, was 16 years old and he began to experience like dizziness and dizzy spells and everyone brushed it off as puberty. Which, what like, was her first son? The first son that passed away? What was his name? Marvin. Marvin. Okay. I was confused for a second. Okay. Yeah. Marvin, Marvin and, Melvin. Okay. and Melvin and Roger. Okay. I, again, if you 
Like those names are pretty similar, Melvin and Marvin. Yeah. Could have picked a few other letters that might have been different. So he's getting dizzy spells and they're like, oh, honey, that's just puberty. Whatever the reason, it wasn't taken seriously, which is pretty shocking given his family history and the fact that his dad and brother had both died within a year of each other. Melvin's health began to decline sharply, and when he died, doctors labeled his cause of death as hepatitis. Once again, life insurance came through, large portion donated to the church, and they continued to support the Gibbs family. Ellen, meanwhile, was terrified for the life of herself, her husband, their unborn child, And roughly a month after Melvin's death, Ellen and Roger's baby, Raymond, was born. Everyone noticed that Janie's mood seemed to shift. She was lighter. She was happier. She just had her first grandchild. She was a grandma now at 34 years old. Can you imagine your face? (laughs) I know it happens. Like, I think about this often. Like, my mom was a young mom. For me. So I think like when I had my oldest, I was almost 22. So I was a young mom as well. And my mom was like 38, 39. And I just think oh my myself, God. maybe she, like maybe she was almost 40. I don't remember. But it's like I think about that now. Like I'm barely a parent. Like I can barely <laughs> exist as a parent. Like, no, it's true. Like, and you think about it you, when you're having a kid at 22, like I had my first kid at 25 and I still felt like I was like, oh no, I'm an adult. But like looking back, I'm like, no, you were not an adult. You were, you were barely not. an adult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize that your mom was that young when she became a grandma. Yeah, let me see. 18. Yeah, she had just turned 40. When I had my oldest. I was at my dad's 40th birthday party when I was 10. Like, and I remember it vividly. (laughs) (laughs) She's just a baby. But I think she had me at 18. And then, like, I, like, I mean, I waited. Like, I was, like I said, I was 22. And, man, wait a second. I got to do some math real quick. Okay, I was 22. I guess that's the same. Like if, man, I just got real hot all of a sudden. I just got real hot thinking about like I could be a grandma. Like, oh my gosh. No, no. We're not thinking about that. So glad my oldest just, I'm so glad he just sits in his room and plays Beyblades. (laughs) You have to tell that story after this about coming in. Because we didn't tell it on the episode, I don't think. I think you just told me about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that'll be the end of the that'll be the end of the chapter. Okay, end of the- <laughs> uh, so grandma at 34 and Ellen started to feel better about being around Janie cuz like Janie's whole personality shifted. It was like the way she interacted with Ellen was different. She felt better, more at ease. She wasn't so worried. She didn't She wasn't thinking about the fact that, you know, all three of those family members had died. She felt at ease enough to let Janie watch Raymond. Um, And Janie was seen taking him around town with her, but it wasn't long before the baby began to get sick too. And he was only one month old when he passed. And Ellen was in a state of desperation. She had no idea what to do. She didn't feel confident enough to accuse Janie. And even to Roger, she couldn't, despite the fact that Raymond had been a perfectly healthy baby was he was born. And they said that he died of an apparent heart condition. And Mm-mm. this was when people finally started to be like, wait a second. But nobody did anything to prevent her from claiming her fifth and final victim, her eldest grieving son, Roger with both Roger and Ellen still living with her at the time. In the weeks after their son died, Roger began to feel sick, and Ellen, who was still a teenager, had to watch as he got increasingly ill, and she felt as though she could do nothing but watch him get more and more sick. Ellen noted that during this time, 
Roger constantly had like red ringed eyes. He always seemed pale. He didn't have any energy. He was getting migraines, but he also wasn't the kind of person that talked about if he was feeling sick. So he wouldn't say yeah. anything unless his head hurt so bad that he could not function. And Ellen had to be like, Hey, is your head giving you trouble again? Um, but Roger found himself bedridden being cared for by his devoted mother. And despite what happened to his father, two brothers and his own son, Roger never shared any suspicions about his mother with Ellen. But she remembers, Ellen remembers overhearing an argument between Roger and his mom where he was apparently saying, like, you did it, you did this to me. And she said that she asked Roger about it later in private, but he didn't say anything else. He just said that, oh, yeah, we had just been arguing. So Ellen was like, am I paranoid? Like, what? what? Am I the problem? You're yeah. not the problem, Ellen. I feel so bad for her. Oh my gosh, I felt awful. When Roger inevitably ended up in the hospital, Janie and Ellen spent most of their time there. After a couple of days, Ellen noticed that Janie would take the water jug that they had put in his room and she would pour it all down the sink and then replace it with her own water. And Ellen was like, why are you doing that? And Janie said that the hospital water had too much sulfur in it and it hurt his throat. She didn't realize until later that Janie was feeding her last remaining son increasing doses of arsenic. At one point, Janie asked Ellen to give Roger some water, and Janie filled up a tall glass, put it in Ellen's hand, and Ellen gave Roger like a little sip. But Janie was like, no, make him finish the whole glass. His throat needs it. So Ellen tipped the whole glass of water down his throat, unknowingly giving him the final strongest dose of arsenic. Oh, my God. What so a not twisted only, bitch. Yes, I know. And so that initial thing where they're saying, well, you know, she just wanted her family to be in heaven with her. Like, that doesn't feel like I want my family to be in heaven. Like, you getting his wife who just lost her baby and also now is losing her husband to give him the final dose of arsenic. Like, I think she got satisfaction out of Ellen yeah, being and the she, one that killed him. Yeah, I agree. Because then it's like, well, I didn't kill him. You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's only 19. But just as she had tried to do with her other sons and her husband, Janie Gibbs tried to stop medical professionals from doing an autopsy on both Roger and Raymond because it was oh, only Oh, but guess a... what? That's right. Guess what? Ellen not his... is next of kin. Yes. So she's like, no, no, you can't do it. But Ellen was the rights. Ellen had the right to do it. So, and Ellen was like, yeah, do it. Which... Like, I, it sucks that she had to suffer, like, these incredible losses, but so satisfying that she got to be, like, do the autopsy. Yeah. And surprise, they were performed and revealed an extremely high level of arsenic in Roger's organs. Like, 20 times what you would expect to find in a body during an, an autopsy where arsenic has not been the cause of death. So Crisp County Police called for the bodies of Charles, Marvin, and Melvin to be exhumed and autopsied also. People were legit crowding around the graveyard to watch while the bodies were taken out of the ground and placed on blue tarps. Like, they had an audience. Ew. And this time, sympathy poured out for Ellen because she had lost her home, her husband, her baby in a month. All five of these murders were committed within a year, between 1966 and 1967. Mm. Janie had received $31,000 in life insurance payments and had given around 10% of that to the church. And in today's money, $31,000 is like $250,000. So a significant amount. Yeah, inflation. <laughs> At the time, she was balling. Um, there's a guy named Eric Hickey. He did a bunch of studies on female serial killers, uh, and he included Janie Lou Gibbs in those. 
Um, and he found that it takes an average of eight years to catch a female serial killer, which is nearly double what it takes to identify and arrest a male serial killer. Uh, but Janie was arrested on Christmas Eve, 1967, the day before her 35th birthday. Good. And she admitted she admitted to killing all five of them. Um, but she was like, I don't I don't have a motive. She never said that she had a motive or what her motive was. It could have been for the insurance money, but could have been because she wanted her family to be in heaven with her. I don't know. If she did, and again, her attorney had said that she had gotten or had been diagnosed with ALS. So maybe that had caused like cognitive issues that just shifted her into a psychosis i just i can't understand why you would be okay for 18 years and then just suddenly murder your entire family and you i could I see it like starting as like knowing your body you said 18 years since her diagnosis of als no no no. so she got it and then this immediately started happening at, allegedly okay. after she got the diagnosis i could so, see it starting as that like I could see it starting as wanting to be like wanting to have her like I want my husband to passes. be with me and so you do the husband but then you're like or she got the taste for it yeah and then she noticed how much attention she got and how much money she got and how much everyone was like oh oh or Janie yeah that's true that probably that that checks out um, so she was arrested on Christmas Eve. In February, she was determined to be insane and not fit for trial. Janie was sent to a state mental hospital where she served as a hospital cook. And she lived there until Wait, 19- What? <laughs> yeah, I know. She just poisoned her entire fucking family and you put her as a cook? And now she's a cook at the hospital. Yep. Yes. Um. Jesus. You know, we can talk about daycares in the 90s, but it's not its not mental hospitals in the 60s, so I guess we can yeah, no, give that no to shit. Or, uh, She lived there until 1976, and during that time, people fought because they believed, like, Janie was aware enough of her actions that she should have to deal with the—she should have the consequences of those actions— and on May 9th, 1976, Janie was convicted for her crimes and given five life sentences, one for each family member she had poisoned. And her sister came to, like, talk to her to try to understand, hey, like, what what were you thinking? But she was pretty much non-responsive. Her sister asked her, like, why did you kill your family, Janie? Janie responded she didn't know. Her sister said, do you feel guilty? Again, she just didn't know. She just seemed to be, like, numb to the situation. And her sister made an, one final attempt to reach out to Janie just to understand what had happened. And she asked, like, can I do anything to help you? And Janie just told her that she didn't know. Her sister did continue to visit her in jail just to understand what had happened. Um, but no matter how much she tried, it was she was like, Janie was hollow. Like she couldn't get any response for her. Um, Janie Lou Gibbs came up for parole 17 times and was denied on every occasion in April of 1989. Yes, she was. Um, she had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and due to her failing health, Janie was released into her sister's care. So the last years of her life were spent in a at a nursing home in Douglasville, Georgia, where she died on February 7th, 2010. So she's still got another 10 years outside of prison. I don't um, think she had ALS or she wouldn't. That is I don't not think how she did either. Works. And I don't think that I think that was just something her attorney was saying to like try to defend her. Um, yeah, because I I don't know a lot about ALS, and I, but I what I do know about it is it is a horrific disease that is, especially back then, like when there wasn't a lot of research or like, you know, aid available. It, I mean, your mu I I think it's your muscles shut down, like you, and like the organs. 
I think. Yeah, I and think if she got diagnosed at 34 and she lived to 77, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. I don't, again, I don't know a lot about ALS or how it works. Um, I know, like, the overview, but. Yeah, so it affects the muscles for you to eat, sleep, or, I mean, move, speak, eat, and breathe. And the average life expectancy after diagnosis is two to five years. And that's in 2023. Yeah, so I'm sure it would have been worse then. Yeah. Um. But I agree. I don't think she did. I think that that was no. just something that her attorneys were using as and you know, well, she was very sick. She was diagnosed with this. And then, you know. Well, I agree. Whatever. She was very sick, but it was more of a mental sickness. Yeah. I think Dude. what you said is probably right that maybe the first one was, I, I don't know. But again, she was... If she didn't have ALS, that doesn't make sense, you know? No, it doesn't. But it could it have been a situation where they were like, oh, you, we think you're sick. I know. Yeah, like maybe, maybe that's what this could be. Maybe she had some vague symptoms and they were like a WebMD. Yeah. And she she grew up so like, you know, like religiously strict and suppressed that maybe that was like, well, I have to. I have to know now, like, am I, if am I going to die? If I die, like, will my family come with me? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, Mm-mm. it's weird, dude. But yeah, she got her last 10 years of life, uh, outside of the hospital. And she, I, I know where she's buried, but I won't tell you guys, just in case you go like, maybe I should tell you guys. <laughs> we'll mess her up. Don't do Sad. it, guys. That's called vandalism. That's vandalism. Don't vandalize serial killer graves. But if you do, I won't tell anyone. If they ask, I will. <laughs> Just because I wouldn't be able to lie. <laughs> I won't okay. mean to. But yeah, she was ruled criminally insane. Or not criminally insane. Just she really, not of she really thinks, sound mind. She really thinks she pulled one over on them. Like not having to go to prison for that long like being able to be like the camp cook at the at the hospital hospital. she did 10 years not like just free and then another 10 years out at the end she's kind of baloney i feel like her punishment wasn't sufficient enough Mm, no not for murdering five people all of which you are your family and a baby like that's that's automatic no on like a one-month-old baby. The only thing that, like, maybe it wasn't because of an illness, but, like, it does check out because she didn't try to kill Emma. And she didn't really care for Emma. Yeah, she I did kind of would murder. have thought, like, when she moved in, she would go for Emma. That's what I was thinking, too. Like, if it was, like, a jealousy thing. Oof. Bitches be crazy. Bitches be crazy. Boof. Where's our festival fam? It's peak festival season, and what do you need for any festival you hit up besides an outfit that slays? Hydration. You know you're heading to that festival knowing you're going to be super dehydrated when you leave, whether it's from the elements or just some activities you may partake in during that day and night. This is where Liquid IV comes in. Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of sports drinks. My favorite is how I can just slip one of the convenient pouches into my fanny pack and dance the day away. And with amazing flavors like passion fruit, my fave, guava, and the new strawberry lemonade and sea berry, you really can't go wrong. Liquid IV contains five essential vitamins, vitamin C, B3, B5, B6, B12. I could not be, you see what I did there, any more stoked about this product. And we love a company that gives back. Liquid IV partners with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 3 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world. What are you waiting for? Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GRUESOME at checkout. That's 20% off anything 
you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GRUESOME at liquidiv.com. You're already using this product. Why not get a discount on something you already love? I was so sad about the the soup flask because at first I was like, damn, that sounds like low-key kind of good. <laughs> I love soup. You, you know, a soup flask might also just be a thermos with soup <laughs> My God, you're right. <laughs> but like hitting hitting your flask with some like soup and it does sound like that's a winter activity I could get into. Like Dude, you we like talk- offer your flask up and they're just like it's just like French onion soup inside of it. <laughs> that's my type of flask. <laughs> you're like that's not liquor. Like nah, man, that's that broccoli and cheddar. You know what I'm saying? That's that only vibe I want this fall. Like you can keep your alcohol, your cider, whatever. I want some soup flasks. I want you to bring bring out the soup flask. Dude, I thought <laughs> one of the most like I consider myself a pretty intelligent person, regardless of what comments on the internet may say. <laughs> I think you're an intelligent person too. But there are, like, I have the book smarts, but sometimes it's the common sense that really just kind of sneaks up on me. And we went to this local pub, and I say pub, but it's like a hole-in-the-wall bar, and they had French onion soup on the menu, and I was like, oh, yeah, French onion soup. And my Mm, husband was like, do not order that from this bar. And I was like, Immediately, no. And so he's like, no, you you cannot order that from this bar. And I was like, why? Why not? They make it for you back there. My entire life was spent thinking they made soup fresh. Like if I go in to any restaurant and I'm like, I would like French onion soup, please. He's like, no, it's a <laughs> like that in the back. I'll just let this simmer. <laughs> he was no. like, your lack of restaurant experience is really showing. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn. How much shitty soup have I ate like in my life? Because I get soup. on. You wouldn't know. Soup is on the... No, if soup's on the menu, a bitch is getting it. Like <laughs> summer, spring, winter, fall. I don't discriminate. Soup is for soup at. girls. I'm with you. I I'm love soup. S- Dude, Zach doesn't think soup is a meal. Soup is a meal. It's a savory That's smoothie, and said. a smoothie's a meal. Yeah, it's like a hot smoothie with a side of like toasted ciabatta bread <laughs> <laughs> on the side, you know? On the side. Oh. Soup is a meal. I had soup. I made I will, soup for dinner. Well, I I didn't make soup for dinner. I made chili, which that is an argument. Ooh, it's too hot for chili, dude. I just wanted it, and so I made it, and it was fine. I got I, I think, got what I needed. I think chili is a soup. I kind of think it is too, but I didn't have a can opener, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In case you guys didn't know, I recently moved and I pretty much started from scratch. And so I just had to like stab the cans open with a knife and add a girl. I went to the store later and bought a can opener because I was like, I'm never feel doing like that again. I feel like we're taking it back to like high school single dad vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look for a can opener a time or two or a can opener a time or two at your house. Yeah. Yep. Oh, like with my with my single dad. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that is kind of my life right now. Um, no, he I still don't know how my dad exists because he still lives that way. I just about him. That's why he's one of my favorite people to have ever existed. Yeah. We told you guys big life changes. We weren't lying. That wasn't something we made up. <laughs> Those are real, real things. Um, well, to lighten the mood. From both the topic yeah, and the life changes. Please tell the Beyblade story. <laughs> okay. I my I may have told this on Patreon before, so you're going to hear it twice. My oldest son is 13. And he is like, you look at him and he is textbook athlete looking kid. He is probably four inches taller than I am now. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Like he just looks like an athlete. His friends all look very similar to him. They look like the cool kids. Apparently, they're not. This is like this whole thing. They don't try to be popular. They're very adamant about that. They're not popular because they don't try to be. And I was like, okay, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I wake up one night. It is like 2 a.m. 
and I hear like a ruckus. And by I have a split floor plan, so like, and it's a pretty solid built house, so I cannot hear what is going on on the other side of the house. Like I can't hear it very easily. Unless it's loud. Yeah, it's got to be extremely loud. So I walk in there and it's I'm expecting, I don't know what the fuck I'm expecting to find with my son and his two friends. I thought they were like wrestling or something. I walk in and they are all three drenched in sweat. Like I'm talking like <laughs> fucking drenched. Like it is smelly in there. I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they all have Beyblade like launchers in their hands and my son is like we're having a Beyblade tournament mom and I was like <laughs> carry on there are way worse like, things you're allowed to have could be too. absolutely and when you just we were driving to Ikea I think or home from Ikea and you were telling me about that and I have thought about it and laughed like since you have told me <laughs> I love because I do feel like too many kids like Especially in the day and age of social media, kids grow up too fast. Like they're not doing like the yeah, little they're not kid playing. stuff anymore. And to like walk in, like I don't know what I thought I was gonna find in there. Like, but it was so loud. I we have a thing about him trying to play soccer in the house. So I thought that's what I was gonna go in to find. And but they were just like I'm talking beads of sweat like all over the place. <laughs> it's a Beyblade <laughs> tournament. Get out, mom. And they have like four different stadiums set up. They have like they're like naming off. They're like Spryzen, let it rip. <laughs> like I love it. It's so cute to me. I just think it's adorable. So wholesome. But you look at my kid, and you're like, I don't think you look like a kid that's playing Beyblades at two a.m. But that's you what know I love what? about it even more. That's what I love We're about it. We're embracing all the things, regardless of how we look now. That's what I think is cool. I about love that. Younger generations is that they don't like care. I felt like we had to we had to like kind of hide that we were like going to watch people play D and D and like we weren't. Yeah, like, it definitely wasn't like... as cool then as it is now. Now if you're like, Oh yeah, I play D and D, people are like, What it tell me about Dude, it? Like yeah. how do you get into What's it? Your like yeah, he is um, him and like I think five or six of his friends, maybe not that many, like four or five of them. My husband and his brother are going to DM. They're going to start a campaign as soon as school starts. And it's going to be like a weekly thing that they do. Yeah, I love that. That's adorable. It's and it's like kids from there's like football player kids and soccer player kids and kids that don't play sports. And they're all like they were talking about who they, well, they can to play all play D&D. They were like, such and such can't play. We don't think they would take it serious enough. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Well, there, guys. I don't think I can play with you guys either. <laughs> yeah, I'm not the person to play. I play the five-minute D&D. That's pretty dope. Oh, those are. Five-minute dungeon? Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that game Love is it. Fun. I like those. There's another one that's like superhero version. Five-minute Marvel or something Ooh. like that. And it's fun, too. They're just, they're just like quick and easy. I like those. The ones that I can just like go through fast and they're easy to learn. I was chasing him around the yard earlier, like just talking shit to him as one does. And he's like, I was like, come on. Like, I don't feel good. Like, come inside. And he was like, you got to catch me. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you can't catch me. I'm like, I'm like almost 40. Like, no, I can't fucking catch you. Like, you run every day. I'm not even going to try to catch you. <laughs> But I'm going to ground you as soon as you step foot through the store if you don't get your butt inside. You walk in the door and you will not have screens once you're in here. <laughs> Oof. So you didn't I, chase him and catch him? No. I just like oh. did the pinch on the back of the neck as soon as he walked through the door and took him to the ground just to remind him who's still boss. <laughs> just like, I could still do this. I could still take you down. <laughs> I used to do that to my brothers all at like, or Dude, my that's my brother. favorite thing to do to my husband. I haven't done it. I hadn't even <laughs> thought about that as like a potential weapon in so long. And now I, like, <laughs> I have the urge to just fucking take some people out. Just like. Because <laughs> it's so easy. They get paralyzed and it's just like down to the ground. They're like, sound like predators, but <laughs> sounds like a predator. 
I remembered like how like kind of dumb 13 year old boys are like their frontal lobe is definitely not developed I gave them $60 we had like our community picnic this weekend it's like a little you know little fair type thing and I gave him $60 and I was like hey this is your money for both days like this is Friday and Saturday money and he's like okay he calls me like five hours later he's like hey mom can I have some money for food and I was like bro I gave you $60 and he's like yeah I don't have that and then I was like what did you spend it on and he's like starting to tell me like water and all this and I was like yeah okay well it was like extremely hot like maybe he did well I took his friend home the very next morning before my son went to like his like referee camp and he was like yeah they had these really cool water stations set up and the water was all free and I was like what did he spend sixty dollars on? And his friend just looked out the window and was like, "I've spent much." <laughs> he told on him. He's like, "I'm did a steel trap out? now. You won't get." No, I to this day I don't know, but I had to give him more money the next day. But let me tell you, that kid has been my personal butler for the rest of the week. Like I haven't been feeling well. Like I had a migraine that lasted a few days, and I'd be like. Yeah, my daughter would come up like, can I have some like milk? Can I have a water? I'd be like, your brother would love to get that for you. <laughs> he just is love exactly just go tell him. What he needs to do for you. My favorite can't wait till is your daughter's won't. older because she he always does stuff for her. Like, and he's always mm-hmm. gonna have to because now she just expects it. <laughs> well, and she will not tell him to do it. Like she won't. She'll be like, Can I tell him that mom wants you? And I'm like, yeah, you can go tell him mom wants you. So she won't go in there and be like, hey, get me some milk. Will you turn a TV? Will you turn the TV on for me? Will you put my show on? She'll just walk into their rooms, both boys. And she's like, mom wants you. Mom said, come here. <laughs> and they know. They're like, oh, because we have to do something for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable, though. I like it. It's cute. I don't know how you, how your youngest daughter's been lately, but I think we've said it about 400,000 times our youngest daughters are like six days apart so we go through all the stages together Mm -hmm. um I mine has been like extra whiny lately like everything she does is like full of these huge emotions and everything is like life or death and the tattling oh my god no (laughs) oh the boys the the only thing that really tattle on each other no, the only thing that's were maybe like a little bit different between ours is that, like, if her older sister comes back at her or, like, tries to come back at her, like, the older one's going down because the little one just is no, like, no filter will kick or bite or hit. And even if the older one's like, no, no, stop, stop, it doesn't matter. She, you have triggered like something with it fed i was just talking about gremlins earlier i was explaining to the kids how what gremlins were i was like don't feed it after midnight and they're like what does that mean and i was like oh it's a movie and never mind yeah never mind sorry Derp. i was yeah that's true because like obviously the boys don't really fight with her and she doesn't have any like prey her age around her she has to like <laughs> attack yeah, but she'll be like, uh... Mom, he looked at me. Mom, mm-hmm. he's watching me. He's watching me play my game. And my middle son's like, I was just sitting here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Children. The, the tattling is intense and the whining, the very mm-hmm. constant whining. She came out here twice while we were recording to be like, hmm. I mean, she was tired, but it's still from the moment her eyes open. We are trying to break co-sleeping right now because I was that like, I mean, she's almost five. And like, I've been telling her for three months, when you turn five, you don't get to sleep with mommy every night. Yeah. We have the same conversation. Do you think it's going to happen? And she, no, because she's <laughs> like, but I love you so much and you're my family and what will I do at night? But I'm. I'm like, dude, I bought you like a $700 Pottery Barn loft bed. You're going to get your ass up there and sleep in it. <laughs> you can sleep in that Pottery Barn bed. Damn it. My kid just has mm-hmm. her mattress on the floor in the living room right now. 
dude, I think I'm going to put like get one of the IKEA ones and put it in her room, like to like try and just break. I'm gonna first start putting her. I know this sounds bad, like on the floor next to my bed, so she's still in my room, just not in my bed. It sounds bad to people who don't have five-year-olds that have been getting in their bed every night for five years, but mm-hmm. like, it makes sense to me. I have a mattress on my floor. Like I just push it under my bed in the morning and like, I'll pull it out at night so that if she comes in my room, if she does get into that, it's like, it gives me more space, but it's, they- it's insane. Like she, I didn't. I broke that pretty early with the boys, like, co-sleeping, but she's the last one, you know? Like I know. The snuggles are so good. And it's not me. It is her dad. (laughs) And my daughter, I mean, you know, my daughter is the snuggliest. Like, she's so cute. I love her. She is. Oh, my gosh. And it's just really hard. And I don't know what to do. And, like, my mother-in-law, we've had conversations because, like, She'll come over like in the evening and if she's already went to sleep, she's like, oh, you just let her sleep on the couch. I'm like, don't touch her. Don't move her. I make it five hours of sleep in my bed by myself tonight or like with my husband. Yeah, I we start in her bed and then normally about 1231, she makes her way into my room and I just let her stay there because I'm too tired to get up at that point. I'm like, whatever, just get in here. (laughs) Go to sleep. Why? She wanted one of. Our friend had a loft bed, so she was like, "I like." She went over there and she was like, "I love this. I want a bed like this." So we swapped out her beds, and I was like, "This is perfect. It's like has like the nice stair, you know, like it. We, it's it's nice." And I was like, "We'll turn it because I bought it off of Marketplace, like secondhand was still like almost five hundred dollars." And I was like, "I'm gonna flip this and turn it into like a flower shop, and then because it's like a fire truck type thing now." Mm-hmm. But she still will, like, no matter what, she won't even sleep in it. Like, she'll crawl in it and be like, look, I'm in my bed. And then she's like, hi, just kidding. And, like, chop her way The down. last time I went over there, I was like, oh, is this your bed? And she was like, yeah. I was, And all of her toys are in the, the bed part. And I was like, where do you yep. sleep? And she went, I don't. And yep. <laughs> just walked out. It's like, oh, good. She's like, what do you think? This uh, is a joke? This is my life here, Megan. <laughs> You think you see how sleep? high that is? This can't be safe. <laughs> how dare my mother attempt attempt to murder well, I, me by putting me in my own bed? How rude. I told her, I was like, do you want me to get you? Do you want to get rid of this bed? We'll get you another bed like you had. She was like, no, I love my flower shop bed. I'm like, well, then you have to fucking sleep in it. <laughs> didn't say that to her, but that's what my head was screaming. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I But... I don't know why I got so mad today because I bought a brand new whiteout dispenser and the little one grabbed it and pulled it all out and broke it. (laughs) I had used it for one line and I needed it for like a million more. And I was like, I looked at the oldest. I was like, I have to go outside for a minute. I just went outside. I was like, fuck. I don't know. It was like a $3 whiteout dispenser, but I was Felt very angry about it. Irrationally Look, you angry. You felt like it was a personal attack. I get that. And I did. And I came in and I was fine. And I didn't lash out unnecessarily. But I was still mad in my little heart about the fucking whiteout. Dude, Sometimes it's just those little things get, like, that push you over the edge. I can't wait for my oldest to get old enough where I can pull a red foreman and be like, don't be a dumbass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's coming sooner. You probably could do that now. Yeah, he just... If you want, is... I'll do it for you now. Please. <laughs> that kid. It's hard, like, when you know what other 13-year-olds do and you know that you have a really solid, like, shit-talking... Like, you're shit good. Talking, you're at least, like, a shit-talking 13-year-old, but he is... He, like Fairly well-behaved. He's not... He's well-behaved. He does everything we ask. Like, he really helps out a lot. He doesn't get into trouble at school. Like, he doesn't... He's not a menace to society. He's not, like, painting dicks on the playground equipment. Like, he's he's fine. Just runs That's that all mouth, you. though. You did that. Good job. It was me. Well, I met... I thought you meant, like, I did that in high school. I'm like, yeah, that's how I was, too. <laughs> Ran that mouth. I didn't get in too much trouble. I mean, I had my little run-ins. Didn't get in too much trouble. Sure. 
Um, <laughs> another thing uh, we uh, just uh, had a full conversation about on Patreon. Yep. On that note. Yeah, that's a good, good place to stop. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>